0: Welcome to the M3 BearCast. My name is Malcolm Travers. Male Media Mind is a grassroots organization dedicated to uplifting and unifying our community through dialogue, insight, creativity, and knowledge. And on the M3 BearCast, I break down some of the topics that are most meaningful to me, and I often bring these to our live streams on YouTube and Facebook. Support us by subscribing to us on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to be a special supporter, Go to patreon.com slash mailmediamind where you'll get early access to this podcast and behind the scenes after shows on our live streams.
1: You knew that we were going to have to talk about this. I could not come up with a more perfect piece to nerd out with you on if I dreamed it up. So quick background, the Harvard study of adult development has been going on since the 1930s and it is the longest longitudinal study that looks at what human flourishing consists of. For the past almost 100 years, researchers have been looking at what it means to live a good life over multiple generations. Here are two big takeaways that I have from looking at this. Number one, human relationships are literally core to our ability to thrive. The biggest takeaway from this study, according to the researchers, is that healthy, fulfilling relationships take their own amount of work to maintain, but it's something that we're definitely not doing as much as we should. The type of relationships and connection that we engage in in our day-to-day lives right now is very different than what we need. The type of connecting that is pure and genuine and filled with wonder, doesn't happen enough. And that's exactly what the researchers are saying. And there's real physical effects of loneliness. Some research shows that it's even more impactful on our health than obesity and can raise our risk of death by 26%. But we can't make change if we don't know that we need to and this brings me to my second point making time and space to reflect and answer questions about your life consistently is powerful for your own understanding of what needs to shift researchers talk about this in terms of these consistent questionnaires that people didn't always love taking and being able to see those changes has a drastic impact on our well-being
0: i'm looking for connections between these three topics and i think they all surround The idea of healthy relationships now the first is a topic on a research study that's almost 100 years old and it is about what really makes people happy in the long term and it all comes down to connection but two interesting sides of the same coin one is meaningful connections with other people that means more than just our daily interactions and weak connections but Connections in which you feel you're seen, that you can be creative, where you can be goofy, where you can be wrong, where people can correct you without feelings being hurt, where positive assumptions are being made about one another rather than negative ones. And it doesn't necessarily mean a continuous contact, but a sense of connection with your community at large, and with people within your community. It helps people feel happier and live longer. There's plenty of evidence to suggest that having weaker social connections leads to worse health outcomes. They are correlated. We don't know if they're causal. That's something that often is hard to suss out from the data, but the two are related, closely related. The second topic is actually related to the first, as, as far as living longer and happier life. It is been by some very tedious questionnaires that were asked of the participants and that the participants who got to read some of their own responses had a better outcomes. So that it is people who are in touch with themselves better, who are curious about what's going on in their mind. And this can stem out of those closer relationships, that when you're in conversation with people who you find safe to be around, who, are, who offer constructive criticism, they will offer you more insight into who you are. And this is just something that naturally happens in relationships, period, is we project our, a lot of ourself into other people. And so if this person is safe to explore aspects of yourself— in conversation with another person then you get more insight into yourself as well as deepening the relationship with this other person and so they're they're much more related and what i would say generally in my perception of what makes a good relationship and what this information is trying to teach us is having a deeper understanding of yourself more when you're more comfortable Being yourself around other people, it means that you aren't suppressing negative aspects of yourself. And if you're not suppressing negative aspects of yourself, you're learning more about yourself when those inevitable shadows come up, the things that you're unaware of, suppressing, or actively running away from. They're going to come up in relationships when things get tough. When things get tough with, within a friendship or a relationship, and you say some things that you didn't mean to say, it requires that there be a level of trust that means that you allow the other person to make mistakes. And hopefully from those mistakes, you learn something about yourself and each other in the process, because ultimately those sorts of painful incidents, those outbursts are really some of the only ways we get to know are unknown selves. The parts of ourselves that we intentionally hide from ourselves and others can only come out in leakage, unintentional showing of it to your person in some really bad situation. So, yeah, and I think this is something that I found in the live stream and in the podcast is that I'm often choosing. Things that are important to me, and I make sure to journal for myself and and make content almost for my own consumption, so that over time I get to know myself more and I can feel comfortable expressing myself. It's not easy; you confronting your dark side isn't always the best time, but I think ultimately it leads to better outcomes for yourself in the long-term and your relationships. I highly recommend a good
2: journal. (laughs) People often think marriage success is about communication because when two people share values, it looks like they can communicate effortlessly because they are, they do, but it's not because they're objectively good communicators. Very few of us are objectively good at communication because we're not trained in it what's actually happening in these successful relationships is that they have an alignment of values. They have a shared understanding of each other and they have a respect for one another that allows them to read between the lines. It's what allows two people who have a genuine connection to see what they're talking about rather than focus on how it was communicated. We love the research done by the Gottman Institute. I quote this line, the biggest myth of all is communication and more specifically learning to resolve conflicts is the royal road to romance in an enduring happy marriage. Yes, for a relationship that's by and large healthy, we'd agree that teaching them how to communicate will improve that relationship. But for one that's fundamentally unhealthy, the reason that most people are seeking help by the way, teaching them how to communicate more effectively does nothing to address their what and their underlying why. These are the instances where talking about the problem can only make them worse. Now, in talking about how to improve your marriage without talking about it, research and our combined 50-plus years of clinical experience show repeatedly that despite your best intentions, talking about your relationship has more of a chance of making it worse than making it better. And it has nothing to do with your partner's lack of interest or poor
0: communication skills. This really resonates with me in the sense that I majored in communications. I read a lot of books on communication. And oftentimes, I believe people mistake the idea of communication skills with relationship skills. And the reason I say this is because it's not really about always how you say something. It's whether or not you feel free or have the space or can muster the vulnerability to say the things that need to be said. And that has nothing to do with communication skills. It has everything to do with relationship skills, and building a a safe space for the two of you to communicate. And one of the things that came up in the books that I've read, and he quotes in the video, is that what is really required is a large amount of grace for the other person. Seriously, just making it a goal of yours to give them the benefit of the doubt to engage in the conversation even when you don't want to talk about it, if the other person wants to talk about it, meeting them with a certain amount of compassion and interest in what they're saying. Often putting in energy into the relationship to draw from later when conflicts arise, you can see it as a deposit in your relationship bank. And there are going to be times that you need to make withdrawals And because you've made these deposits in your relationship, be they emotional, physical, even financial, you can engage in these conversations in ways that don't feel threatening. The conversation becomes what it is about rather than is this a conversation about whether or not we want to stay together. Because if every conflict that you have is about whether or not you stick together, then you start avoiding the conflicts. You know, once you have established a commitment with each other and you trust that the other person is going to honor their commitment, you can have honest conversations about a whole host of different things. And so it makes sense that we would think that communication is the bedrock principle of a solid relationship, because if you see a solid relationship, you see an open flow of communication, but what is actually open Is there emotional connection to one another? And those things are skills as well. And I think let's not chalk it up to communications. Oh, that's all we need to make a relationship work. It's a little more complicated than that. (laughs) and We don't always like complications, but I think in this case, it works for me. Now, if you want to continue to call them relationship, communication skills rather than relationship skills, that's fine because I think the result is the same. I think the difference, however, is when you are listening actively and you're doing this active listening technique that, you know, supposedly gets your partner to open up and be more vulnerable, it is more mechanistic rather than intuitive. And so I think having the intention, setting the intention of being curious about what the other person has to say means that you don't have to do this mechanical active listening technique. You know, mind you, I think the active listening technique is great if you can't muster the emotional connectivity necessary to have an open dialogue with your partner. But understanding that you don't need the technique, you need the underlying connection, the underlying emotion that makes you want to connect with them. I think for myself, it is oftentimes I just don't feel safe to say what it is I want to say. And it has nothing to do with the other person. It has a lot to do with myself and whether or not I have opened myself up to that person and am willing to be criticized on a personal level by that individual, because, you know, on many occasions I have been hurt by people and they didn't really mean to just that I'm a sensitive type of guy and my feelings get hurt, especially if, Someone likes to be a joker or is just callous about criticism and they believe if they're being honest, and that's the greatest virtue. One of the things that they put in here is your values need to be in alignment with one another. And I think one of those, the highest value you can have for anyone is regard, regard for their emotions, not wanting to hurt them, actually having your best interest set in them and saying, I can be honest, but if I, this piece of information isn't going to benefit you or me by saying it, in fact, I know it's going to hurt you. There's nothing wrong with ordering your values at such that being kind is more important than being honest. You know, that you go into a relationship with both eyes open and then you shut an eye you give the person the benefit of the doubt. You don't have to be 100% honest with them all the time because your relationship to them is not a test of their integrity. It is a partnership. It is a part... It is... You're on their side. You're part of their team. And breaking someone down and trying to show their faults is not part of being on someone's team. You know, And I think... That's where it really comes down to is a shared values, a communication about what is most important to you. And then the communication naturally flows from the resonance of your aligned values, right? That you don't have to fake it once you have made it. (laughs) You can make it about letting it flow, being real with one another and being kind to one another. I think that's truly how you build a strong relationship, not through some manufactured techniques that will give you temporary boost to your potential conversation topics. You know, it may remind you when you're not in best communication with them. And I can see it improving things on a very short-term basis that you'd have to renew over and over again until we know inevitably you would stop doing that. And so instead of these techniques that have to be renewed every so often, make it a point to align your values with one another and make an intention to live up to the values that you say you have for one another. One that I always say is commitment, right? The fact that you chose them is not necessarily about who they are. It's about who you are and that you keep your promises to yourself that the commitments that you make are real.
3: The best boundaries for me that helped me feel more secure in my relationships weren't boundaries with other people I was in relationships with. They were boundaries with self. Number one is I don't beg for love. Write it down. Say it in the mirror. This is the big one. Begging for love doesn't look like literal begging for literal love. A lot of the times it looks like fighting for things that feel like love to us. It looks like fighting for quality time, fighting for reassurance and validation, fighting for respect. For me, feeling misunderstood is a trigger. So if there's anything that'll trip me up even now, it'll be fighting for somebody to understand me or fighting to feel seen. I have to catch myself and that's the key, it's to catch ourselves. When we feel ourselves at that point, it's really important to stop and say, hey, the only reason that we're here, the only reason that we're having to fight so hard to feel loved, right, is because this other person in so many ways is telling or showing us, no, I cannot love you that way. And so my job at that point is to accept their answer and then ask myself, okay, what do I do with that information? How do I love myself through that answer? And that practice moves you towards a more secure state. Number two is when somebody asks to take space, whether it's to process their feelings, get over an argument, do whatever, do live their life, whatever. I am no longer ruminating. I am no longer chasing them. We can discuss expectations of what that space looks like. We can discuss, you know, are you gonna hit me back up at the end of you taking space since you needed the space? Like, I think that's on you, right? But regardless of all of that, once the space starts, I am now processing my emotions, soothing my own nervous system and getting back to living my life. And if it's something that we really needed a closure conversation for, and I'm not sure that this person is going to show up for that or what to do if they don't take initiative in that, that's what rule number three is for. Rule number three is that if you don't have it to take initiative and things like hard conversations resolve and repair, then you can't afford me. And that's okay. but like you can't because that's a need for me.
0: So I really love this concept of setting boundaries with yourself, because in so many instances when we're talking about boundaries, it's about creating healthy relationships with other people and not giving other people this false assumption that things that they're doing are okay to you. And what boundaries, setting boundaries with yourself tells you is reminds you that you're better than what you're trying to do. So in this case, the two takeaways I got, it was like, never, never beg for love. And that can look like so many different things begging for your emotional needs to be met, being preoccupied with what the other person is doing rather than just saying, this is what I need. This is what I want. Are you able to give it to me? And the other being when the other person inevitably needs some space to reevaluate the relationship or calm their anger to not be preoccupied with what the other person is doing or thinking and moving on with your own life. And what's so great about the way that she explains it is that we're going to mess up. We are going to forget our boundaries at times because the reason we need those boundaries is because there are things that we would naturally do based on our attachment style, our personality, our experience that are ultimately unhealthy for us, even though in the moment they are what we could desire more than anything else, which is being in a relationship, feeling loved by your partner. And, Begging for love, begging for attention, begging for quality time, begging for sex, begging for to be seen or heard or understood. All of those things, you put yourself in a place of deprivation. And instead of that, you need to be affirming your needs. You know, affirming that this is, these are some healthy things that I'm looking for. What do you have to offer? Rather than, please, please, please give this to me. This is what I need in order to be happy. Fact is, the person might be able to fill your needs in ways that you don't even really recognize, and they may be able to offer you things that your imagination is incapable of conjuring. So I think there has to be a point at which begging for what you want and need is bad on a internal level where it scours your self-esteem, absolutely destroys any sense of self-worth and feeling that you deserve to be loved, is destroyed by the act of begging for it. But then in a more practical sense, it's unhelpful because what you're asking for may not be one, something the other person can provide consistently, like they might be able to do it in the moment, but it also may be something that you don't actually need. It just might be It just might be a perception of something that you want. So I think this goes back to the previous topic as well, just saying that a lot of what makes a relationship work has to do with underlying compatibility. And in order to understand those points of compatibility, we have to actually understand ourselves on a conceptual level. Like, what are are our values? What are our needs? What are our wants? What are our triggers? What traumas are we healing from? What causes us to go into an anxious or avoidant type of pattern that makes romance and relationship much more difficult? Knowing what your triggers are, knowing what your needs are, what your values are, and finding someone who aligns with you in that way naturally is the first step to resolving a lot of these issues. I mean, at the core of it, you cannot morph yourself to be compatible with someone else. And that's something some anxious attachment types will do. There'll be the eggs girl who doesn't know what type of eggs that she likes because she always had her eggs done the way that her man had her eggs done. and. When she was finally divorced and single, she had no idea how she liked her eggs, even though she's eating eggs for decades. Don't be the eggs girl. (laughs) Know what you want, what you like, what you need. And then hopefully you'll attract to yourself two people who also like your needs, you know, who are willing to feel your needs. People who have the same interests and values will be attracted to you because you express your values and needs so openly, I'm sure at the same time, you will also attract a lot of users, abusers, people who are just bored and just like to play around with people who want to be in stable, monogamous relationships. That's not to say that monogamy is the only way to be, by the way, but (laughs) just saying that a lot of times people will pretend to be something they're not in order to get a short term gain. And that also is a boundary with yourself. You have to be able to ask that question if this person is not able to provide the things that I want, or if I have the feeling that we're incompatible in some way, do you have the strength, the forethought, the, you know, self-esteem really to end a relationship before it gets too deep or further down the line where more pain is likely to be. And I really just love this concept. I don't know how much more to say that, um, the relationship you have with yourself is far more important than the relationship you have with another person that the relationship with that other person ultimately is an extension of the relationship you have with yourself. Because if you have a healthy relationship with yourself, you're able to ask for the things that you want. You actually know what you want. You know, you're not hurt when someone says no greater than the, incident re- require. You're not so sensitive when you're confident in who you are and you have a good relationship with yourself. And you're much more able to weather those times when disagreements will arise. I mean, and that was one of the issues with trying to make everything about a relationship down to communication, when ultimately, if there is a fundamental disagreement that you have with each other's values you cannot talk your way through that there is something ultimately wrong with that relationship and someone's values are going to shift or the relationship is going to have to end and no amount of talking is going to solve that so i think that's where i think the best work on a relationship can be had is prior to getting into a relationship Understanding from the mistakes that you made in your past, that they do not define you, that you can learn from them, um, that you now know what to ask for. And it's not going to immediately solve all your problems, but it certainly is going to keep you from going down the same roads that you've already traveled. And that just comes from experience. And it sucks that those are some of the things you have to go through to figure out what paths you're not willing to go down anymore but it is incredibly useful, incredibly helpful for both you and your partner. If you have a good idea of who you are and what you want and what you need. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of the M3 BearCast. As always appreciate your listening. If you'd like to support us, please give us a rating on Apple podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you happen to listen. And if you'd like to be, Patreon, go to patreon.com slash mailmediamind, and you'll get early access to the podcast as well as access to after shows on our live streams. So I'm definitely going to bring up these topics on the live stream. They're quite meaningful to me, and I'm pretty sure that variations on these topics are going to be a regular feature of this podcast and the live stream. So if you'd be interested, go to youtube.com slash mailmediamind, hit subscribe, hit the bell. You'll be notified when we go live. And thank you for listening. Peace.